Welcome to the Ramp Church Podcast. We are so honoured that you've joined us today and we pray that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. If you'd like to know more about Ramp Church Manchester or would like to partner with us in giving, visit us over on our website, ramp.church forward slash mcr or find us on social media. Now let's head straight into this week's message. our friend Ruben Morley. He's going to come up and share with us this morning. There we go. Brilliant. How is everyone doing? Is everyone okay? I know that I'm in a room full of passionate lovers of Jesus. I was so blessed in that worship time. And when Joe and Stacey asked me to come here to preach, I knew that I would be just as blessed as anyone else because the ramp holds a real special place in my heart. But I'm gonna share a little bit about that, but before I do, I'm gonna get my notes in order if that's okay. I've been here twice before, so this is the third time now I've been able to share my heart at Ramp Manchester. And I know that 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 makes me feel a little bit better because I'm thinking if they've invited me twice already, I couldn't have been that rubbish the first two times, you know, so I'm back and I've really prayed into what I bring today and I'm really praying that as we enter into this new year, this new year we find ourselves in, that we'll be laser focused in the call to preach the gospel, amen? But in my reading this morning, I was reading through Genesis and I was in Genesis chapter 18 and it's a story many of us know about Abraham and Sarah and God promising Isaac the son And a verse stuck out to me, and I just want to read that verse to you, because I believe for all of us, 2022, not just for us, but this church, Ramp Church Manchester, I believe it can be one of the most fruitful years that we've ever had. And this is why I read Genesis 18, verse 14 in the New Living Translation. It says this, it's the Lord speaking directly to Abraham. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return about this time next year and Sarah will have a son. And I was reflecting on that this morning. And I was thinking, next year at the beginning of 2023, what will God have birthed in and through our lives due to our faith and our trust in him over the next 12 months? So I want to encourage you, as Pete said, to begin sowing seeds financially, but also with your time. Where are you putting your time? What are you focused on? Because the Lord wants to birth something new, afresh in your life this year. Don't write it off after the first week, but believe God wants to do a new work. He wants to see you grow in him like never before. He wants you to be more fruitful than ever before. He wants to see your loved ones, those in your workplace, those that you see day in, day out, come to Christ. And I believe you may have said, you may have laughed like Sarah laughed and said, that's not going to happen. But I believe God has so much in store for us as a people and a body. Amen? Awesome. So for those of you that don't know me, my name's Ruben. I'm from Liverpool. You may be able to tell that from my strange accents. I spent, a lot of people call me a plastic scouser because I spent a good portion of my life actually on the Wirral as well. So maybe not a real scouser, um, but that's where I reside. I know for, if you're in Manchester, everyone over that side, Liverpool, scousers, we keep to our own a bit, don't we? But my name's Ruben, as I said, and I've got a, an amazing wife called Tamar. We have three children. They're all at our home church today as my wife serves. 
I wish they could have been here. I saw that I've been gifted with a few toys and things like that, so I'm going to take them home later, and the kids will be absolutely made up. But I work for the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association here in the UK, and uh, we work and we put on festivals, not just in this country, but around the world. And what I love about what we do, a lot of people say to me, Ruben, what do you do? And it depends who I speak to as to the answer that I give. And for a lot of people that are my friends that aren't Christians, I'll, I'll go into talking about the church and talking about the gospel, but I'll start and I'll say, I'm in events management. Because a lot of what I do is we put on events. But a big part of what I love is that we go into churches and we equip the body of Christ to be confident in proclaiming the gospel. And I believe that that's something that we all need to be confident in. And I'm going to share how that can be true for all of us. Because who knows, for many of us, it's very difficult to share our faith. And I'm speaking from experience. As Pete mentioned, I wrote a book and released it last year. And this is a very vulnerable book of my story. It's called The Introverted Evangelist. And it's someone that never saw themselves as somebody that was able to share their faith because I was never the one with the gift of the gab. I was never the one at parties swinging from the chandelier. If my parents asked me to go and get bread and milk from the corner shop when I was around eight years old, I would be terrified. It's just asking for bread and milk and handing the money over, but I wouldn't want to do it. I would just be so shy, so introverted. But God began to really work on my heart. And I remember at the age of 15 years old, I opened the Bible, I dusted it off for the first time in many years, and one of the scriptures that stuck out to me was Acts 1, verse 8, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses, I will empower you, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And that struck something in me, and I thought, oh my goodness, there's no let off here, there's no get out clause, I've received the Holy Spirit, and so whether I see myself as an evangelist or not, as a Christian, I am called to share my faith, and it took me on a journey of trusting the Holy Spirit as my comforter. We all know him as our comforter. If we want to really see God move and work in our lives, we need to put ourselves in uncomfortable situations. And so I began to learn that when I stepped out into uncomfortable moments, that's when the Holy Spirit would work through me and grow me. And that's something we're all called to be and called to do. We're not called to be comfortable as Christians. We're called to step outside of ourselves, trust in someone beyond us, which is our Father, to work in and through our lives. So maybe this year for you is gonna be a year where God is saying, I wanna stretch you. I wanna grow you. I wanna throw you in the deep end. If you start drowning, I'm gonna be there, but I want you to feel that little bit more uncomfortable, whether it's sharing your faith or maybe it's an opportunity that you've wanted to step into. Maybe it's a promise God's given you, but you've never felt that you could step over the line because you're trusting in your own ability. And God is saying today, trust in me and step out into the unknown and the uncomfortable in 2022. So very briefly, the ramp, as I said, holds a real special place in my heart. I remember being 18 years old in 2008. I was upstairs in my room, probably playing the computer or something, and my dad shouted me down to the living room. He said, hey, Reuben, I want you to come and watch what's on TV. And I came down, and he was watching God TV. And on God TV, the ramp were on, and I was struck by watching this conference and seeing this passionate worship and just seeing people on fire for Jesus and something sparked on the inside of me and it was as if in that moment I was given permission to burn. I always felt like Christianity for many years was just church attendance. Yes, I had a relationship with Jesus, but it was just ticking a box and going about my life and being a nice person. And then I saw these young people raising the bar of expectation and calling us as Christians to a lifestyle of holiness. 
And I thought, I want what they've got. And so I went on a journey of listening to podcasts and watching them on YouTube. And in 2012, after I finished university, I made the decision I heard. I saw that they had a three-week intensive school out in Hamilton, Alabama. And I thought, I'm going to go. God's calling me to go. So I booked some tickets. I didn't know anyone. And I just jumped on a plane. People back home thought I was crazy, but I just went. And it was the best time of my life. And a three-week trip turned into a three-month trip because I didn't want to leave. The ramp became like family. And after that, I'd go to a few winter ramps. And the year after, I took my wife and we got engaged out there. And the summer after, and so the ramp again is a place that I feel is such fertile soil, especially in this nation. I've said to Joe and Stacey many times that I believe that there is nothing in the UK like what the, the, the ramp carry, the DNA of this ministry, and I believe that it's something that is needed. And so I want to just encourage you to continue to be plugged in this year, continue to sow, whether that's financially or through, uh, through your service on the team, just coming along on a Sunday. I want to encourage you to plant yourselves in this church because God is going to continue to do amazing things. But as I said, I'm going to talk on that dreaded word today, evangelism. And I just want to really share. It's going to be really simple, I promise, because I'm a simple kind of guy. And I'm just going to share some scriptures that all of us will know. These are scriptures that really played a part in my calling and really helped me develop a conviction to preach the gospel, even though I didn't want to. And I was afraid and fearful of what people may say and what they may think of me. And then I'm going to just share very quickly five things that I believe will keep us on track this year to continue to step out and preach the gospel. Is that okay? Awesome. You know, one of my favorite scriptures is Romans 1.15 and 16. But in Romans 1.15, Paul says, I am eager to preach the gospel. And my prayer is that as we leave this place, we would just have a fresh eagerness to share the message of Jesus, the message that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son to die upon a rugged cross for my sins, for your sins, so that through repentance and faith, we may have eternal life. We may have relationship with the Father again. You see, before I encountered the ramp, I used to think, that I could just incorporate Jesus into my life, maybe give him the Sunday service or that kind of part in the corner where he wouldn't interfere with everything else. And then I suddenly realized that he was to become my life. And I'm reminded of Galatians 2, verse 20. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And this life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. I want to be eager to preach the gospel. Does anyone, anyone want to be eager to preach the gospel? To have that desire, that fire within them that says, I can't keep quiet anymore. I'm not going to be ashamed of the gospel anymore. I'm going to preach it and share it with my loved ones, those that are around me, because they need this message of life. Each of us are called to be a witness. No excuses, no let-offs, no exemptions evangelism is not reserved for the bolder, the braver, the wiser. It's reserved for each and every one of us. And I want to tell you as Christians, we can't be indifferent in our desire to preach the gospel. Reinhard Bonnke would always say, many of you may have heard this, the church is not called to be a cruise ship. It's called to be a battleship. It's called to be a body of people on the front line with a desire to see God magnified in this earth, to see God lifted high and glorified and to see people come back to him. In Acts chapter four, 
It's amazing, and I won't go too far back, but you have Peter in the Gospels who's fearful and afraid, and we know the story. He begins to follow Jesus at a distance after he is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, and then we have him sitting at this lit fire, and he's ashamed of the Gospel. He's ashamed of his Messiah, and he denies Jesus three times, but after he receives the Holy Spirit in that upper room, we have him in Acts 4, standing in front of the very people who were responsible of putting Jesus upon the cross, and he is speaking with boldness and authority, and he's saying there is no other name by which man can be saved. People can only be saved today, I want to tell you, it's not through this way or that way or a hundred ways to God, a hundred ways to salvation, it's through Jesus Christ alone. It's important that we recognize our mission as the church to proclaim that very truth, that we don't shirk from our responsibility to communicate that message. We don't water that message down and dilute it so it has no effect, but we say there's one way in which you can be saved and it's through Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis said it like this, the church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ to make them little Christs. In other words, Christianity is not confession, it's Christ-likeness, it's becoming more like him, it's abiding in him, it's producing the fruits of the Spirit. That scripture, I love it, we're to be conformed to the image of Christ. The world should see something different in our lives and they may not like it, but actually they may see something different and want what we've got because we don't react and act the way the world acts in times of tragedy, in times of chaos, in times of the pandemic. There's something different about those Christians. He goes on, he says, if they are not doing that, if they are not going out and making little Christians, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. All of us, I'm sure, will know the story of the Titanic. Who grew up watching that film? Did it come out in like 1998, the Titanic film? And um, we see it and it's a tragedy. And over 1,500 people lost their lives in the icy waters of the North Atlantic that morning. And a lot of people, when asked why so many people died in those waters, they say, well, there weren't enough lifeboats. And there is some elements of truth to that. There could have been many more lifeboats aboard, uh, aboard the Titanic. But the main reason so many people died in that water was because those who were in the lifeboats did not go back to rescue those that were perishing. We're told that in some of these lifeboats that could hold up to 70 people, there were seven. And these people were more comfortable. And actually, let's be real, they went through a traumatic experience and they felt much safer to just stay where they were instead of going back to rescue anyone. Perhaps they thought their boat could have been tossed over, I don't know. But so often as the church, we can give our lives to Jesus, we can receive salvation and we stay in our bubble and I know that's not the case for this church but it can be the case in our lives, in my life where we think actually it's safer just to stay in our bubble and not go out and look to rescue those that are perishing. That doesn't mean that we have to preach on every street corner but it means that we look for opportunities wherever we are to reach those that don't know him and give them a lifeline and come with the lifeboat and say we have have hope for you and it's found in Jesus Christ. So I'm going to jump into a number of scriptures now that I pray 
would give you a greater conviction in your responsibility to share the gospel. Because like I said, growing up, I never thought it was my responsibility. I'd see the evangelists, I'd see the extrovert, and you may be looking at me and saying, well, Reuben, you're, you're, you're talking passionately and you look quite bold here at the front, but you know, it's not always like that. When I'm faced with the mo- in the moment, sometimes everything I wanna do is just shut my mouth, zip my mouth and not say anything. We all go through things, but we're all called to share our faith no matter who we are, no matter what we've been through. And I wonder if Joe and Stacey, or if there's any Americans in the room, would know of this coach. But in the 60s, there was a coach called Vincent Lombardi. I found this out of a friend. I'm not into American football, but he was an American football coach. And he coached a team in the 60s called the Green Bay Packers. And they, in that, I don't know if they are now, but back then they were one of the, the, the most prominent, one of the best, most successful American football teams in the, at the time. And they went through a season where they just about missed out on the greatest trophy they could have won. And the season came in the next season and during pre-season this coach Vincent Lombardi he gathered everybody the players the coaching staff the medics you name it all of them into the dressing room and he held an American football aloft and he said this gentleman is a football and as you can imagine as he did that there were some smiles there were some smirks there were some people wondering why he was sharing something so basic to a team that was second best in the whole of America But the reason he did that was because he had a meticulous desire to focus on the simplistic. He he wanted to focus everybody on the basic. And when he did that, he found that his team, through just normal training patterns, through tackling, through just saying this is a football, his team became one of the most successful teams of that decade. And so in the same way, as I share these scriptures, you're probably going to see them and go, well, Reuben... I've read that scripture a hundred times. I've had that explained to me. You're not saying anything new, but I believe that as we have a foundation in those scriptures that often we can say, well, we've read that a hundred times before, it will develop a firm foundation of conviction for us to move forward and be able to preach the gospel more successfully than any time before. In Psalm 119, verse 18, and this isn't one of the scriptures, but it says, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. His word is settled in heaven. And I believe that we have a responsibility as Christians to take that word, to take the word of God and to settle that same word in our hearts. So we're not swayed and we're not moved and we know what our purpose is and we know what our calling is because you are called for a purpose. And I wanna tell you the number one purpose is to proclaim and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in word and deed. That is why we're here. That is our call and what we are called to do. So the first scripture Matthew 20, and I don't know if they're coming up on the screen, but you've probably got your Bibles with you as well, and I'll read them out. But Matthew 28, 18 to 19, it's often known in our Bibles as the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18 to 19. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So after Jesus had risen from the dead and before he ascended to heaven, he gave his early disciples this commission. He said, go and make disciples. And you could say, well, hang on, Reuben, it says disciples. We're to make disciples and we are called to see people grow up into Christ. But I wanna tell you, nobody can become a disciple until they first make a decision. The two 
can't be removed from each other. We can't say, well, my job is discipleship and your job as an evangelist is evangelism. That sounds good, but actually we're called to both. And some of us will have more giftings and uh, leanings towards one or the other, but actually we're called to see people come into a relationship with Christ. And those people we lead to Christ, we're called to grow up into Christ and walk with them and see them develop as mature followers of Jesus. The next scripture, Mark 16, 15 to 18. I might just read 15 and 16. And then he told them, go into the whole world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. And then he goes on to say, these miraculous signs will follow those that believe, healing the sick raising the dead. I think often, and I'm speaking to myself here, but I think often in the Western church, we have the bar so low and we allow our experiences to trump the word of God and what the word of God says. Jesus here called those disciples to go out and heal the sick, to raise the dead. And that's what we're called to do as Christians, continue to press in, continue to pray, continue to want to see those things in and through our lives. But he says, go out and preach the gospel. And he adds a sense of urgency here as well because he says that those who don't believe, those who aren't saved will be condemned. And that should spark something in us as we reflect on those scriptures to say, hey, guys, we've got a job to do. We can't just sit back. And I wanna be vulnerable and say, this is something that I have to tell myself every day because it can be the comfortable route to just be a nice person, to develop that friendship. And we call it friendship evangelism and friendship evangelism is is important. Actually, more people come to Christ through friendship than in any other way. Even with our mass scale evangelism, people say mass evangelism, mass evangelism doesn't work. We'd say, well, that's not what we do. We do personal evangelism on a massive scale. Actually, those people that respond to the gospel are responding because somebody brought them. But the reality is that that friendship leads to them sharing their faith, sharing their story, sharing the gospel. So often we can say, well, I'm just gonna be their friend and be a nice person. And 20 years down the line, we've never opened our mouth and told them about Jesus. And that can't be the way that it goes. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20 So we, this is Paul speaking, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us, through our lives. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Two things I wanna point out from that scripture. The first is, we're Christ's ambassadors. That literally means we're his representatives here on earth. We're from heaven, but we're here on earth representing him. And the second thing is God is pleading through our lives. Christ is urging through our lives, come back to me. You know, God's desire is that none should perish. That's God's heart. That's why he sent his son. One of my favorite scriptures, Romans 5 verse 8, for God demonstrates his love in this, that whilst we were sinners, whilst, I don't know what you're going through today. You may have had a really difficult 2021. You may feel condemned. That's not from God. He loves you. Whilst you were a sinner, That's when he sent his son. Whilst you didn't have it together, whilst you weren't perfect, we so often think that we have to reach a certain level before God loves us or wants to use us. No, we could never amount to the holiness and righteousness of God. That's why he had to send Jesus. And that's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of grace, that when we fall into him and recognize everything that he did for us, we're empowered to walk and live as he's purposed us to walk and live but he loves us and it's his will that none should perish. 
I find that when I preach, I go on. I think I said to someone earlier, I go off sometimes on 101 different tangents. So I apologize for that. I have to look at my notes. Okay, that's where I am. So next scripture, 1 Peter 3.15. It's the great apologetic verse. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an account for the hope that you have and do this with gentleness and respect. And I think what you have up on the screen is the amplified version that says, but in your heart set apart Christ, uh, set Christ apart as holy, acknowledging him, giving him first place in your lives as Lord. Always be ready to give a logical defense to anyone who asks you to account for the hope and confident assurance elicited by faith that is within you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Two things I just want to pull out from that scripture. There's two parts. The first thing that we're told is to set apart Christ as Lord. In other words, make sure that Jesus is Lord of our lives. Make sure that he's number one. Make sure that he sits on the throne of our hearts. Because I want to tell you, unless we make Christ Lord of our lives, unless he's the one we're surrendered to, unless he's the one that we're, we're following and living for, then people probably won't ask for the hope that we have because they won't see it in us. They'll see us, as I said earlier, as someone just like another that doesn't follow Jesus. So when we get that right and we set apart Christ as Lord in our life, then people may say, hey, there's something different about you. And it says to always be prepared. So I want to encourage you, you may not see yourself as an evangelist or have the gifting of an evangelist, but you are called to be a witness. And we're told through scripture here that you are to be prepared to be able to share the hope that you have, to be able to share what Jesus has done in your life. And it, it finishes by saying, and do it with gentleness and respect. We don't have to go around smashing things and upsetting people. We can do it in a way where we come alongside people and people see Christ in our lives that way. Next, 2 Timothy 4 verse 5. This is Paul writing to Timothy. He says, But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And what I love about this is that Timothy was really known as a pastor and a teacher. But here Paul is writing to him and he says that he's also to do the work of an evangelist. I don't know what God's gifted you with. I don't know what your personality type is. But God's saying today, hey, this year, do the work of an evangelist. Maybe don't go the whole hog and do something right out there, but maybe just take a baby step and do something that's a little bit uncomfortable, but open your mouth and begin outside of the four walls of the church, the building, to begin to share your faith in one way or another. I think of Ephesians 4, where we have the gifts that God gives to the church. And we have the pastors, the teachers, the prophets, the evangelists, and probably another that I've missed. And I love that it says that their role is to equip the church, equip the saints for the work of the ministry. In other words, the evangelist is in place not just to lead people to Jesus, but to equip the saints to lead others to Jesus as well, to equip the church, the saints for the work of the ministry. And so whether you see yourself as an evangelist or not, we are all called to partake in the great mission of seeing others come into a relationship with Jesus. Last scripture, and I touched on it briefly, Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And I've just wrote this, I put according to Acts 1.8, the primary reason the Holy Spirit, and Jesus said this, the, the, the Holy Spirit comes upon us, is perhaps not to give us goosebumps or a fuzzy feeling, but to empower us 
in boldness to become witnesses to the world, to be able to boldly proclaim the gospel with power and authority. Amen. We're not called to be ashamed of the gospel. Romans 1, 16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. You could rewire that scripture another way. You could say it another way and say, Paul was not ashamed of the gospel because he knew the power within the message to change a life. And so I wonder whether sometimes we can become ashamed of the gospel ashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ because we've forgotten the power within it to change the life of another. Perhaps the gospel, the good news, what Jesus did upon that cross, our relationship with the Father, perhaps that isn't changing our life and because it's not changing our life subconsciously, we don't think it's gonna change the life of another person. I always think of Romans 10 verse 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It doesn't say faith comes by having heard. That's past, it's not a one-time thing. It's not that you give your life to Jesus and we're done. It's just heaven one day. It's continual, it's present tense. Faith comes by hearing the word every day. We hear and that's when faith comes into our life and that grace empowers us to walk out what he's called us to. And so if we want the gospel to work for us continually, we have to have that vibrant, intimate relationship with Jesus. And from that place, we have a boldness to say, I'm not ashamed. I touched on Peter earlier that he followed Jesus, we're told, at a distance. And then at that place, when the fire began to dim, he became ashamed of the gospel. We need to remain as Christians so close, so tight, so near the Holy Spirit, near Jesus, near the Father. And from that place, we have a confidence and a boldness and a stride in our step to say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because I know that it can change your life like it changed mine. The Bible says that the message of the cross is foolishness to the world. It's a countercultural message that goes against the tide of the world's narrative. You see, the world says, follow your heart. Jesus says, follow me. The world says, believe in yourself. Jesus says, believe in me. The world says, discover yourself. Jesus says, deny yourself. The world says, be true to you. Jesus says, be true to me. The world says you can fix yourself and ultimately require nothing outside of yourself. Jesus says you're a sinner in need of salvation which can only come through faith in me. I want to encourage us today not to be ashamed of the gospel as we move through this year. And I know that time is pressing. I'm going to touch very quickly Famous last words of a preacher on five points. Am I doing okay? Is it all right? Just give me the nod when I need to to, to wrap up. Um, But I want to touch on five things, very basic things that I believe, and it'll be things that you've heard before as well, will help you in your walk with God and help you in a deeper way, a more confident way, be able to share your faith. So number one, I've put, we see sown seed, not failed encounters. When it comes to evangelism, I believe that there's no such thing as failure in the kingdom of God. Very often in my own life, I step back from evangelism because I thought that I was a failure when stepping out. I would try and share my faith with someone and they would bite back at me or they weren't interested and I thought, I'm not cut out for this. But little did I know that seed was being sown. In 1 Corinthians 3 verse 6, 
It says, I planted the seed, Apollos water, but God took care of the growth. And I believe in this culture, we're so fixed upon success that oftentimes we try and force someone into saying a prayer just so that we can say somebody's been, we've led somebody to Christ. It's not about that. God is the one that takes care of the growth. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It says that it's God who opens blind eyes. I want to tell you the pressure's off. Yes, we need to be ready to lead people over the line, but your responsibility is simply to share your faith and let God take care of the growth. Sometimes, and statistics show that it can, it can be one, I believe one moment in the presence of Jesus can change everything. That's why I love this church and love this ministry because you believe the same, that one moment everything can change. But oftentimes, statistics tell us that it can take seven to eight times of someone hearing the gospel before they finally make a decision to follow Jesus. Quick story, I used to work at the Apple store in Liverpool and I had a friend that was an atheist and we were good friends and I would always share my faith with him. I would talk about Jesus. I would say that I was praying for him in a non-condescending way. I would share stories of what Jesus had done in my life. He wasn't interested (laughs) at all. He would make fun of my faith. He would joke, he would mock, but I just kept going and it could have been so easy for me after week one or week two to say, well, he's not interested, I'm gonna stop. But I knew that people aren't projects. Actually, they're people for us to love. And I left Apple and he left Apple and it was actually, this was, I left Apple when? Probably 2014, so a good while ago. He sent me a message on Instagram of all places just before the pandemic hit in 2020. And he said, Ruben, I need to tell you, I was out with a friend in Argentina and I've given my life to Jesus. And he went on and said, Ruben, I'm so sorry for all the times. I'm, but all of that, I said, don't worry, don't worry. And we met up for coffee and we've talked many times since. But I just want to tell you, it may take years and you may not be the person that actually sees the fruit at the end. But just through your faithfulness of being a Christian in the workplace and loving people and praying for people and sharing what Jesus is doing in your life, it can make all the difference. So I want to say, don't lose hope. Those family members that you've shared, don't lose hope because God can work in and through you this year. An American theologian called William Craig said it like this, successful evangelism involves not only harvesting, but sowing and watering too. We must never think that because a non-believer remained unconvinced by our case that our apologetic has failed, for one encounter is not the end of the story. Isn't that encouraging? It's not the end of the story, so don't see yourself as a failure. Don't step back from sharing your faith. God desires to use you. He wants to use you. Number two, Another thing that will keep us on track for preaching the gospel is simply that we run this race together. That we don't see ourselves as in this just solo evangelists or solo witnesses or solo Christians. I remember as a youngster going through high school and I was the only Christian in my school or th- that I knew of. And I had a number of what I saw as failed encounters very early on in my high school years. And it caused me to step back. I want to tell you that you're not alone, that you need to be around other people. I love seeing so many of you here today because I'm reminded of the scripture in Hebrews uh, that says, do not neglect the gathering together of the saints, but come together, stir each other up, edify one another for, uh, to love and good works. Why? Because Jesus is coming soon. It's important to gather together. I know some of you are watching online and that's amazing, but if you can come in person, come in person because it's important that we gather and we worship and we be together as the body of Christ. 
A few bullet points. Jesus chose 12 disciples to share his life with. He didn't do it alone. Even when he sent out the 72 disciples, he didn't send them out alone. He sent them out with a partner, Luke 10. Proverbs 27, 17 tells us that iron sharpens iron as one man or woman sharpens another. Ecclesiastes 4 verse 10 says, uh, two are better than one because if we fall, a friend can pick us back up. Don't do this alone. Walk with someone by your side. Number three, we must recognize if we want to continue to share our faith through this year that we all have a story to share. I grew up in the church. I would go to youth events. I would hear the radical testimonies of God literally pulling people from the fire. I would have friends now that, are, that were drug addicts, that were suicidal, and praise God for the testimonies of what God did in their life. But that wasn't my story. And for many years, especially in my younger years, I used to think, well, I needed a story. Isn't it crazy? I used to think, I need a story like that. I need to be homeless on the street and be suicidal and then God can use me to share my faith. That's what I used to think. And I used to leave a lot of events feeling more in love with Jesus than ever before, more grateful for what he did done in my life, but more disqualified to preach the gospel because I thought God will use them. He's not gonna use me, a Christian boy that grew up in the church that has no radical testimony. But for whatever reason, God chose that I had the story that I had. And I know, and I say this with humility, that I can reach people because of my story that other people with those kind of stories can't reach. And they can reach people that I can't reach. We're all a body and we all have a part to play. So don't disqualify yourself on your story. Actually, there's people around you in your sphere of influence that God has put there that he wants you to share what, what he's done in your life with. I put this, although according to the world's eyes, you may not have a radical testimony of rebellion, rev revolt and redemption, in God's eyes you do. And he alone has transferred you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And as a matter of fact, regardless of your own story, the greatest story you have to share is God's story of him sending his son to redeem mankind. The most important story we can share is God's story. So it's okay if you don't have one of those crazy stories. I love them. I've got so many friends and I go, I often go when I speak to someone, I go, oh, I've got a friend that went through this and went through that. I pull on other people's stories, but it's okay what you have and you can share that and you can see change in people's lives. We're nearly there. Is everything okay? Are we good? Number four, if we want to keep on track and proclaiming the gospel, I've kind of touched on this already. We need to just simply fall in love with the word of God, amen. This needs to become our daily bread, not our Sunday fix that keeps us going a few more days. It's something that we need to read day in, day out. I know that that can sometimes be a challenge. I want to encourage you this year, look to read it every day. Look to read, say, 30 minutes a day and see what God will do in your life. You say, Reuben, that's too difficult. But I want to tell you, the more you stick with it, you form a habit and then it becomes your daily bread. It becomes what you want to go to and you, you start to hear God more clearly. You start to become convicted on what God is calling you to do. You have purpose in your life and you have a desire to preach the gospel. I, I share this in my book um, when I talk about reading the word of God, but I was fascinated by a study that was done in the US by an organization called the Center for Bible Engagement. And they did a, did a study amongst 120,000 Christians. And they wanted to see what it looked like if people would read the Bible more often. 
And so they encouraged some to just read it one day a week for 30 minutes, some two days a week, some three and some four and beyond. And it was fascinating what they found. With the ones, twos and threes, they saw that yes, it was having impact on their life, but there was, it was just a blip. It was really a blip on the, on the statistical graph that they had. But this is what they found for Christians that were reading the Bible up to four times a week, at least 30 minutes a day. This blew me away, so I hope, I hope it encourages you. So, I put this, sorry. The, uh, if we consist, I've just put it like this. If we consistently spend four days a week in the Bible for up to 30 minutes and ask the Holy Spirit to meet us between the pages, our life and witness will dramatically improve. So this is what they found, sorry. The study showed that anger issues dropped in those Christians by 32%. They found that bitterness in relationships, marriage, and towards children dropped by 40%. They found that alcoholism dropped by 57%. The desire to view pornography dropped 59%. And I think this is the big one, feeling spiritually stagnant dropped 60%. So now I've learned in my life, if I'm feeling a bit dry, if I'm feeling a bit worn out and feel like God is distant, the first thing I now ask myself is when was the last time I spent time in his presence and in his word? And normally I can say, well, I probably haven't read the word in a week or two. You know, we can actually pinpoint why we're feeling why, why, uh, how we do. And so I want to encourage you to spend more time in the word of God and you will begin to see change. On the flip side, they also found this, the desire to share faith increased in these Christians by 228%. And the desire to disciple others increased by 230%. So if there's any New Year's resolution you can make with God's help, just get in the word of God and see what he will do in and through your life by just falling in love again with this book. Number five, we choose to walk in daily relationship with Jesus. I've already touched on this, so I won't spend too long, but we cannot live. I remember Karen Wheaton, Miss Karen would always say this to those that were in Chosen. She would say, you can't simply live off a diet of conferences. If you just live off the conferences, that's just like junk food. It's great in the moment, but it's not going to be good for you long term. We can't live off a spiritual diet of just Sunday morning church. Imagine if we were just to have one meal a week. It would do us no good physically. You know, we'd be in a really difficult, I would be in a difficult place by probably Sunday afternoon, to be honest. I'd be getting frustrated, hunger pains. I'd be getting frustrated with my kids and my wife. It's not their fault. It's because I'm being hangry. In the same way, spiritually, we need to be in a place where we're feeding daily, that it's our daily bread. The Bible tells us that God is a consuming fire. When we approach him with the right motives, he will consume us, setting our hearts alight for him. However, if we follow him from afar, our interior flame will slowly begin to diminish until it eventually flickers out completely. If we want the fire of God in our life, we need to resolve to spend time with him daily. And I'm reminded of Luke 24. You have the disciples walking the road to Emmaus and they don't realize that they're walking alongside their Messiah that has risen from the dead. And I love it when they suddenly do realize that it's Jesus they're walking with. They say to each other, did not our hearts burn within us? I wanna say just spending time with Jesus will cause your heart to burn a flame for him. And I love the first thing it says that they do is that they ran back to Jerusalem to let the others know. And so naturally when we spend time with him, as we touched on already, we'll have a desire to share our faith with those that don't know him. If the bank could come up, um, and we'll just finish with one song, if that's okay. 
I just want to conclude. Um, and I know that, I, I don't know, Pete, how you do ministry time. People can stay in their seats. I'm fine with that unless you want people to come forward. But I really just wanted to do a sort of response, if that's okay, for two groups of people as we step into this new year. And I think the first, very simply, is if you've been convicted by anything that I've shared, if you see this year as an opportunity for yourself to say, hey, I want to share my faith more, then I just want you to give that to God. You don't need to raise your hand. You don't need to come out. I just encourage you to close your eyes and just have some time with God and say, God, this year, I want to spend more time in your word. I want to spend more time around the people of God. I want to spend more time in your presence. I want to step out into the uncomfortable. I want to preach the gospel because I want to tell you that each and every one of us were called to share our faith. Each and every one of us were called to reach those in our spheres of influence with the gospel. So if that's you, as the band do play, I want to encourage you just to have time with the Lord. But I've got a real specific response and it may be for one person it may be for more, I don't know. But I want to say this. I feel that some of you, you are, you are here right now and you already have a passion to share your faith. You look for opportunities. You feel convicted when you don't take those opportunities. You feel more alive than ever when people come to Christ. And you've actually felt that you're not just a witness, but there's something in you that's evangelistic. You've sometimes thought, maybe God's called me to be an evangelist. But you've continually told yourself no because really you've disqualified yourself. You said, I'm not like the extrovert. I'm not like the Andy Hawthorne. I'm not like the Todd White. I'm just Reuben and I'm quiet and I'm not loud like they are so... I'll share my faith, but I want to tell you this year, God could be calling you as an evangelist. I believe now more than ever, the church needs more introverted evangelists because the church needs those that can say, I know what it's like for you. I know the difficulties you face in sharing your faith because I've walked in your shoes. I can relate to you. I know how difficult it can be. I want you to know this morning that your personality type is not the barometer to decide whether God is calling you as an evangelist or not. In the Bible, God never once pigeonholed a person by their personality. In fact, much of the time, those that felt the most unable and unqualified were the very individuals the Lord desired to use for his glory. Listen, it's never the personality that makes the evangelist but the heart they carry towards the lost. The calling and the gifting of the evangelist transcends personality. It is a heart broken for the lost, filled with the love of a saviour and empowered by the Holy Spirit. As I said, the church needs more introverted evangelists. So I just want to encourage each and every one of you to close your eyes right now, if that's okay. And if you feel the tug of the Holy Spirit in this moment, maybe you're watching online and you say, oh, it's so difficult. I feel unqualified, but I believe this year that I'm to step out. And no matter what anyone thinks, no matter what anyone says, God is calling me 
to be an evangelist. I just want to encourage you where you are right now to just lift your hands. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm so thankful that the Lord chooses to use those things that seem foolish to the world. God wants to use you. He wants you to step out this year. He wants you to be bolder than ever before. And we're going to ask right now as the band finish with one song to fill us afresh with the Holy Spirit because I love at the end of Acts chapter 4, you have a group of believers. (laughs) You have a group of believers that are in a room and they've just started to become persecuted. They're being persecuted. They're fearful. They're worried. They're afraid. And they begin to pray and they ask the Holy Spirit to come and fill them with boldness. They say, God, would you fill us afresh with boldness? Would you give us boldness to preach your word? They don't shirk back. They don't say, well, the heat, the, the heat is too much out there. No, they don't hide. They say, we're going to go forward. We need boldness. And in the next lines at the end of that chapter, it doesn't just say they receive boldness. It says the Holy Spirit fell, shook the room, and that's when they received boldness. And so as it says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, that when we receive the Holy Spirit and a fresh infilling, the automatic response is that we receive boldness. So I encourage you right now where you're at, just say, God, would you fill me afresh? God, would you do and you work in my life this year? God, right now, we are drawing a line in the sand We are stepping over that line and we are saying for this church, we are moving forward. For this church, we will no longer be afraid, but we are choosing to trust in you and we are choosing that you will work in and through our lives. As we see this year, many come into a living relationship with you. Lord, we ask that you would work on the hearts of those that don't know you, our friends, our family, Lord, Would you draw them back to you? Lord, as we lift you up in our lives, God, would you draw them to you? As we as the church are one, would you draw them back to you? Lord, we say yes to you afresh this morning. Would you work in our lives, God? We love you, Jesus. We love you, Holy Spirit. And we say yes to the call to be a witness. Jesus' mighty name.